coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Ahem. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. If you have your Bible, uh, let's see who's got a Bible today. Last week we had a record 14. Let's see if we can beat it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Guys, this is week nine. Okay, well, second service may be combined with you guys. We'll beat it. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew 6, 21. So Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Let's just pray. God, we just thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for the opportunity to meet together. Um, God, to learn more about you and, and to allow you to impact our lives. Lord, we just pray that um, even one thing would drop into each of our hearts today that could change us um, to become more like you. God, we thank you that you're always interested in making us um, a better version of ourselves, and, and we thank you that you never give up on us, God, even when we give up on ourselves. Lord, speak to us today. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So over the past few weeks, um, I work for Canada Post as well, and so for the past few weeks, I needed to keep myself occupied because I don't like just like walking around and just thinking about too many things or thinking about nothing. So I like to listen to audiobooks. So the audiobook, um, I, I decided that I was going to set out on this adventure to, to listen to these three audiobooks. And I'd never actually read these books before, I'd never listened to them before, but I had watched the movies. So I was really excited um, to read the book or to listen. Is it called reading or listening if you do an audiobook? I'm going to say it's reading, um, but I was really excited to listen and read these books because I, I wanted to compare the differences between the movies and the books. So the books that I'm talking about are Lord of the Rings. Now, I was planning to start this sermon off with a super epic, that's that uh, Sam speech from the movie where he's like, hope is not lost, Frodo. But then uh, I realized that it doesn't say anything that I thought it said, so it completely didn't work with the sermon. Um, but the incredible thing that when you, when you read a book like this, uh, or a, a book like Lord of the Rings, or any other fantasy fiction novel, it transports you to a different world. See, when Frodo and Sam are, like, hiking through into the, into the pits of, of Mordor, and they're, like, they're just dying of thirst. I was, I was at work, and I'm listening to this part, and it says that they're so thirsty, and that there's no water. And I got my water bottle there, and I'm just, like, chugging my water, because I feel so thirsty. And then you hear about, like, a battle, and you're like, man, like, I'm, I'm a warrior, and you, I get out of my Canada Post truck with, like, a package, and I'm just, like, wielding it like a sword. Not actually. That'd be super lame. Um, but you just get involved with the book, and it takes you to a new place. When I was a kid, my parents didn't uh, ever buy us any video games. So any kids in here who didn't get video games, I'm with you on that one. Um, it's okay. We can get through this together. Um, and they actually just re-released Super Nintendo, which was the video game from our childhood. So if you're interested in buying a Super Nintendo, I think you can buy one online for $79. What a value. Um, but what actually happened is that my parents wouldn't buy us any video games, but a, a neighbor a few doors down had a Super Nintendo. And 
he decided that he was too old for it, and so he decided that he was going to give it to us. So me and my brother were super, super excited. Uh, we'd never had a video game before, and this was like a game changer. And so he got this Super Nintendo, and one of the games that Super Nintendo included that he gave us was Street Fighters. Now, if you played Street Fighters as a kid, great game. There's like a guy with super slinky arms that could like punch the back wall. Like, super good game. So me and my brother would play Street Fighters all the time. And I don't know if my parents actually knew like what we were playing. Um, very conservative home, so they probably wouldn't have appreciated Street Fighters. But what would happen is we would play this game, and we'd just like, you know, be playing this game for a few hours, and then once the game was done, we would come back to reality, we'd turn we turn off the video game system, but then we would believe that we were street fighters. So then me and my brother would start like play wrestling and play fighting, doing all these things. And if you're a parent, you know, play fighting quickly turns to real fighting. And so we would start real fighting and we'd get really violent uh, because we felt like we were a part of the game. And unfortunately, uh, it only lasted a little while. My parents found out we were playing street fighters. They took our street fighters game and they threw it in the garbage. Uh, very disappointing. But I still had Mario, so that was good. But everyone likes a story, a book, or a game, or a movie because it draws you in and it makes you feel like you're living something maybe you've never lived before. It gives you an escape from reality. Which is why, side note, I don't understand people who love sad movies, like with bad endings. Last night, me and Haley watched the movie Fences. It was like up for like an Oscar, I think. And not a good movie, okay? <laughs> A movie with not a happy ending is not worth watching. I'm watching a movie for an escape. I'm not watching a movie to be drawn into someone's terrible, terrible life and feel like I'm just like living their hell. I am not interested in that. So, uh, and Matt just flashed that spoiler, but, but I believe that even if you haven't watched the movie by the time it's out of theaters, then you are setting yourself up to be spoiled. So, spoiler alert, bad ending. Don't watch it. Um, but sometimes we don't just escape uh, with entertainment, but we actually create a world around ourselves. We make ourselves the main character who we believe that we're the protagonist, that we can't do any wrong, that everyone else is against us. We see ourselves as number one, and we create a world around us, placing our hope in our talents as well as what we have, rather than putting our hope in God. So today I want to explore three ways to put God first in our lives. It's a pretty basic sermon today. We're going back to school uh, if, how many of you guys are, are going back to school right now? Okay, a lot of hands. Lucky you, because that means you just had a few months off. The rest of us have been working the entire time. So, um, but it's true. I'm a little bitter about it. Um, but anyways, yeah. So the first way to put God first in our lives is to deal with our pride. See, we live in a world where much of what we see is polished and looks exciting. Anytime we go on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on anything, we can see what our friends are doing, where they're traveling, how much more of an amazing time they're having than us. We can get into this mentality where we need to feed that system. We need to one-up our friends or coworkers. We need to hike a higher mountain than they've hiked. It can create dissatisfaction with where we are. And as many of us know, we're only seeing the part that people want us to see. We are seeing a polished version of the actual event, not the real thing. We don't see the sweat. We don't see the scrapes. We don't see the pain. We don't see the gas bill. We simply see this amazing photo or video. And I actually brought an example of that today. So uh, Matt has got a video for us to watch. I know it's 
so insane. This is there's nothing better than this, right? This is the greatest. Unbelievable. Look at this. I can't believe I <gasps> Madison Marie. Will you marry me? Oh, babe. Wait, you hired a photographer, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. It... I am so sorry. Do you mind um do you mind actually coming a little bit closer? I just, I don't know if it's going to share that well, if it's like what? so far back. Madison Marie, will you marry me? This is still from the back. Do you mind if we just switch spots so that the camera's... Madison Marie, will you marry me? Oh, my, my hair's up and I didn't realize. Do you mind if you scoot back so we get the skyline in the background? Madison Marie. Cut. Sorry, I don't like my middle name. Uh, can I take a look at that? I just want to see if it's... I wanted this to be a surprise, but at least you could have given me a hint. I don't look good in any of these. Okay. I'm sweating right now, and this can't be good for my complexion. What are you talking about? <gasps> the lighting is like really harsh. I probably look like a Picasso painting. It's... <sighs> Cloud-wise, what are you thinking? More? And yeah. See, when, you, when you turn around, is right. it already gonna be open? Yes. Madison Marie. I'm already wearing it. Oh, wait, all right, take it. From, okay. Give me the ring back and oh. then we'll start from the top. Okay, okay, okay. I read a blog, the perfect time for engagements is like 5 to 5.30. I'm trying to do something fun for you and you ruin it. Ruin! Every... Oh my gosh, okay, I don't try. know if I can even do this anymore. All right, here we go. Well, you're going to be that, you're going to be turned around right. anyway, so I'll just start right. on my knee. Everyone Thank you. You got a double chin in this one? Switching things up, we're going to have camera guy here, sound guy right here, John, continuity stake, right knee. I'm going to go left hand. This could be bigger, right? Can you Photoshop that? As soon as he opens the box, we're gonna have a sweeping zoom motion and then coming all the way up, revealing the beautiful skyline. I'm going to say yes, and it's gonna be great. All right, from top. So then I'm gonna either go here or here. What do you okay, say? How about, or we could go this way. Right? I feel like no one sees me though, because my face is pointed out. No one needs to see your face. <laughs> say it a little bit more like you believe in it. Like do it, how would I say it? Marrying you would be hashtag relationship goal. Who says that? You will! Ugh. Rolling! I just want it to be like how they do it in the movies. I don't know, I'm just not feeling the production value in this. Production? What What do you want from this? Oh, uh, I don't know, first thing that comes to my mind, La La Land. La they didn't even get married! Spoiler alert! Cut. Madison's engagement, take 43. Great, hurry, first positions. Put that somewhere. First positions? It's so beautiful. Yeah. Look at all these likes. So I thought that was pretty accurate. Um, hashtag relationship goals. That that was amazing. Um, but how accurate is that video? We see only the finished product. What's posted online. Obviously, that video is blown out of proportion. But it's easily something that we do, either intentionally or unintentionally. And what that causes in us is either thinking of ourselves too highly or thinking of ourselves too low, both of which are wrong. So Matthew 6, verse 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward for your, from your Father in heaven. You give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. 
But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. And then verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except for your Father who knows what you do in private. See, these religious leaders at this time... They weren't simply following God's law. They were actually going above and beyond what was required uh, for fasting and tithing. See, they were, they were required to fast once a week, but they were fasting like three times a week. They were required to give 10%. They were giving a lot more than 10%. But the problem is that rather than doing these things out of a sincere desire to put God first in their lives, they were using it as a way to make themselves look important and great. They saw themselves as righteous, which was the most thing that could have happened for them. They believed in their own goodness so much that they forgot who their fasting and tithing was for. Lots of people fall into this same trap. We all do. We believe that our goodness and righteous acts will impress God. God desires that we are loving people properly, but the Bible says that even our righteous acts compared to God are like filthy rags. Instead, we need to seek him first, putting him ahead of our selfish desires and allow him to work through us. Every single person here has to deal with pride. Fact is that most sin is directly caused from pride. We believe that we know best, we do best, that we are the best. That comes out of selfishness. We attempt to make ourselves greater, and sometimes that happens by pushing other people below us. So what's the antidote to pride? How do we, how do we work through pride? Well, the antidote to pride is humility. And what a great, there's no greater example of humility that we can find than Jesus himself. Philippians 2, 5-7 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. If even Jesus, who is God, didn't think of himself too highly, then how can we, who are so flawed and full of sin, act that way? We need to turn to Jesus and allow him to change our lives and to take our eyes off ourselves and put them on him. So the second way to put God first in our lives is to deal with our covetousness. So if we go to Matthew 6, verse 19, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness in is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. See, in the Western world, um, one of the tools the enemy uses to lull us into a state of complacency towards God is that he takes our passion that should be placed in God and he puts it somewhere else, or he, 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 he helps us put it somewhere else that it shouldn't be, maybe in our possessions, maybe in, in what we have. But as soon as we take our passion from God and put it under anything, we've fallen into idolatry. Anyone who knows me, um, and my wife can attest for this, uh, knows that before I buy anything, I obsessively research it. Like, I'm one of those guys who will get, like, a Consumer Reports magazine to read what everyone's saying. I'll go on 
15 different blogs. I'll search on YouTube reviews for this thing. I'll spend so much time researching before I buy anything because I want to get the best price and I want to get the best quality. An example of that is the tent that we use for camping is uh, I researched a ton. Is this great tent? But then what I needed to do after I decided which tent it was is I needed to wait for the sale. And so I waited for the sale at Sport Check, and I got it for like 30% off. And then I bought it, and I brought it to uh, Mounted Equipment Co-op because they have a lifetime warranty on all their products. I got them to price match, and then I returned the one from Sport Check, and I got the greatest price and a lifetime warranty. So uh, if you need any help, I'll, I'll help you out with that. So. so I get really, really passionate and into all kinds of things before I buy them. Like the tent was one thing. Another thing that I'm really stoked about right now is like a smart home. So like there's this thing that you can get is a lock on the front of your door that you just, you walk up to it and you tap on it with your finger. And if your cell phone's in your pocket, it will unlock your door. Now, some people are worried about that because what if their cell phone's on the other side of the door and a thief walks up and taps it? But I've read the reviews. It always works only on the right side of the door. But you want to know that before you buy it. So I could talk about uh, smart homes and those things to death I could talk about those things to death right now because I think they're so cool and I really want them all. But then what happens, and this is what always happens, is I buy the thing that I've been obsessively researching about and it's great for about two weeks and after two weeks there's something else that I want that's different that I'm going to spend all of my time on. It's like, it's really like a kid with a toy, you know. It lasts two weeks. They're so stoked about it for two weeks. But then after two weeks there's something else better that comes along. Because none of those things, no object, no thing can have a lasting impact on us. None of them make us better people, and none of them can give us lasting joy. See, covetousness is the evermore syndrome, the need to always want more, to always have more. And I always thought of this just in regards to, like, things, you know. Like, I always want a new tent or a new camping gear or a new smart home or all these things. But I realized that it's not just in regards to material possession, Covetousness is also looking at your friends' lives and wishing that they were yours. It's looking at your coworkers' position and feeling like you deserve it more than they do. It's any time you're dissatisfied with what you have in your life and you desire what someone else has. So what's the antidote to covetousness? Well, the antidote is contentment. Contentment means that we are content, as the word says, with what we have and content with what others have. The first part is hard and the second part is even harder. Being content with what we have doesn't mean that we don't work and we don't research and we don't buy more things, but it means that we don't put those things above God. It means that we are in a place where we see the blessing that we have, whether that's $1 or $1 million. We see that what we have in our lives, we are joyful with, and most of all, we are thankful to God. When we don't feel content, it often causes grumbling or complaining about our situation. But the best way to change our perspective is to thank God even when we don't feel thankful. All of us have probably seen this last week, the devastation that happened in Houston, and we really need to be praying for that as a church and as individuals. Um, but one of the things that I saw over and over again, and one of the things you always see in a t- time of natural disaster is that people lose their homes, people lose absolutely everything. But anytime there's an interview, they say, I didn't lose my family, I didn't lose my loved one, I didn't lose the things that actually matter. And, you know, when you see that, you realize that these possessions and these belongings and even our jobs, they're not the things that matter. The things that matter are really just our family and God. 
So when Haley and I got married, uh, one of the first things we decided to do was create a budget to help us make our financial decisions. Um, and we used this program online that took a little bit of learning to understand. Uh, I still don't fully understand it. I have like an interview with them on the internet because I just don't get it. But one of the crazy things that I learned during the courses was that it doesn't matter how much money you make. Across the board, if you make $10,000 a year, you make $100,000 a year, the same percentile of people are in debt. It doesn't matter how much they make because people always want more. If I made a million dollars, I'd want a million dollars and 200,000. If I made a billion dollars, I'd want two billion dollars. It doesn't matter how much we have, we always want more. But I believe that some of us um, need to turn and to point our lives toward Jesus, to put him in first place and be content with what we already have. And the second part of contentment is being happy when others are blessed. It's so easy to look at others and feel like they have too much, they don't deserve what they have, but God desires that we're not envious of others, and in fact, that we rejoice with them. It's just like the Instagram post, right? We can think that it's not fair that they have that job, or right now, like, we're dealing with this lawyer, and, like, he's making $900 to do pretty much nothing, and I'm just like, how, it takes me two weeks to make $900, that's ridiculous. And I could look at that and just be like, I deserve that $900, not him. But we don't know what kind of sacrifices people have made. We don't know what kind of debt people are in. We don't know how hard people have worked. When it comes to jobs and positions and titles and all that jazz, we need to be content with where God has put us. God desires the best for us and will bring the right opportunities at the right time if we make ourselves available and put him first. See, when we put our hope in anything other than God, the hope is counterfeit. It's like if you play Monopoly with some friends, you play Monopoly, and let's say you win Monopoly and you have all the Monopoly money. Well, th that doesn't mean that you can go to the bank and be like, yo, I just got a million dollars. And you put that Monopoly money down and you say, put this in my bank account. They're not going to do that because the Monopoly money doesn't have any value. Why not? Because it has to be real to have value. It has to be real to bring it to the bank. Pride and idolatry are both counterfeiting of the soul. It's us expecting that we can cash a check later on of what we own or what our talents are, but the result is that that check's gonna bounce. See, idols in the Bible, idols were created, they were these actual physical objects, you know, these, these gods. When we were in Bali, uh, there's idols everywhere. They have like a million gods over there. And they actually worship these idols. One day we were at our Airbnb and they, come, they came knocking at our door at 10 a.m. They're like, we just need to do the sacrifices out back. And we're like, we don't want you to do any sacrifices in our Airbnb. And they actually worship these idols. But the thing that's so crazy about idols, and the Bible always talks about people that have eyes but cannot see and ears but cannot hear, is that an idol actually has eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. It's a completely fake version of something that's real. Have we stopped up our ears? Have we stopped listening to what God wants from us? Have we stopped looking to see what God wants from us? Have we put our hope in things of this earth or things of who we are? One author put it this way, and I love how he says it. He says, it's not wrong to possess things, but it's wrong for things to possess us. I'm going to say that again. It's not wrong to possess things, but it's wrong for things to possess us. The, th the sin of idolatry is as dangerous as the sin of hypocrisy. There are many warnings in the Bible against covetousness. So back to Matthew. 
uh, verse nine, uh, Matthew 19, 16 to 23. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Then Jesus says, why ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all the commands, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad from many possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, sometimes we read this and we think, oh man, like in North America, we're all pretty rich. None of us are going to heaven, I guess. That's not what this is saying. Nowhere in the Bible are we taught that a sinner is saved by selling his goods and giving his money away. Jesus never told Nicodemus to do this or any other sinner whose story is recorded in the Gospels. But Jesus knew that this man, this specific man, was covetous. He had wealth. By asking him to sell his goods, Jesus was forcing him to examine his own heart and to determine his priorities. When all of his commendable, all of his commendable qualities, the young man still did not truly love God with all of his heart. Possessions were good. He was unable to obey the command, go and sell, come and follow. The young man went away grieved, but he could have gone away in great joy and peace. See, we cannot love and serve two masters. We can, we can be sure that apart from Christ, even the material possessions of life give no lasting joy or pleasure. So the third way to put God first in our lives is to just do it. Now, this point is kind of pointless because that's the point of every sermon is to just do it. But sometimes we need to hear about it because don't just do it. We, we hear a sermon, we go on our own ways, and we do whatever we want, and we don't just do it. I know it's not a protectable thing, but so many times we can just walk away thinking, wow, that was a nice thought. Maybe I should do it. It's so easy to put things off until later. We like to wait until a season of life changes to make that big change in our lives. But the problem with leaving things until later is that they usually never get done. There will always be something to do later. But today we need to start doing what we need to do right now. So how many people have ever gotten a rock in their windshield by show of hands, a rock in their windshield? Okay, so pretty much everyone here. Getting a rock in your windshield is the worst thing because it's just so unnecessary. You know, it's like you're just on your own way and then there's a gravel truck and it spits up a rock and shatters your windshield. So... The first car I owned was actually one of the greatest vehicles of all time, a 1995 Pontiac Transport. Now, if you know what a Pontiac Transport looks like, just remember back as far as you can to those white minivans that look like spaceships. Like, the windshield was literally two meters long. It was so aerodynamic, it looked like you could just tip this thing on its back and launch it to the moon. So this thing was an absolutely ridiculous looking vehicle. But because the windshield was so long and it was so aerodynamic, I actually never got a rock at windshield. It never had a uh, windshield replaced in its whole life. But then I got a new car. I switched to a 1994 Toyota Camry, actually, so I went back in time. Um, and my Toyota Camry was a great car, but it kept on getting rock chips. And what would happen is in my mind, I would think, oh, that rock chip's terrible, but 
as long as I go get it fixed, as long as I get that thing filled, it's not going to progress into a crack. And I'd say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And you look for those deco guys, and then they're never there when you need them. And then when you're, like, actually not looking for them, then they're always there. It's super weird. Um, but I would look for those guys, and I wouldn't find them. I'd say, oh, it's okay. I'll just put it off till tomorrow. I'll just put it off till tomorrow. But what happens when you leave a chip until tomorrow is that eventually that chip cracks into a huge crack right across your windshield, and like 90% of the time, it goes right over your vision when you're trying to drive, so you're like having to look above or, or below it. And it becomes a big problem. It actually gradually gets worse. Proverbs 6, verses 4 to 6 says, don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do it. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. So my question is, how do we just do it? How do we get over our pride? How do we get over our covetousness? How do we do it? Well, sometimes uh, we don't see how blind we are to what God is speaking because we don't want to hear it. We want to do things our own way. The other day, I had a home inspection done. And you get this guy to come to do a home inspection, and they're just like, they know everything about homes, but also kind of nothing about homes. It's like they know just enough to make them dangerous. And you pay like $500 to $1,000 to get this guy to come in. And they come in, and they tell you everything that is wrong with your home. Now, I don't know why anyone would pay money to do that, but we do. Because we want to know the real assessment of what the condition of our home is. Now, anyone who wants to feel like their home is unreal is not going to get an inspector to, to come over. Because they're going to give you the painful truth. I think that sometimes... We live our lives with a desire to never truly inspect it, to just go on as things are, hoping that everything that God desires in me is just coming together nicely. We need to be intentional about putting God first and asking him to inspect our lives. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And then the second way, that we can just do it after asking God to inspect our lives is in Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. That means every day, one step at a time, we're asking God to lead us and direct us. That means that his kingdom is more important than my kingdom. It means that our desires, that his desires are greater than my desires. It means intentionally allowing God to direct our thoughts, to direct our path and let him change us. It means dying to our selfish desires and our human thoughts and letting God give us his thoughts and his desires. You know, I didn't talk to the band about doing Good, Good Father, but the thing I love about the song Good Good Father is that it's not about who we are. The song isn't saying, I'm a good good son. I'm a good good son. It's saying, You're a good good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. And so we're going to stand up now and we're going to sing this song a few times. But I believe, you know, as simple as, simple as this message is, as, as much as we know that we need to serve God first, sometimes we need to recalibrate our vision. Sometimes we need to realize that there's darkness, that what we think is light is actually darkness, and that God wants to come in and change those areas of our lives. 
So as we're singing, ask God to reveal to you. Say to God, say that prayer, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And God is faithful, and he will do that, and he'll change us and he'll make us look more like him. been listening to the Engage Life powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.